Um, and I've recently just returned from a missionary trip to the Slovak Republic in, yeah, I consider it Eastern Europe, but they get pretty upset if you say Eastern Europe because it has negative connotations. So we'll go with Central Europe, which <laughs> uh, will, uh, doesn't produce quite as much of an emotional response. <laughs> we'll just put it that way. Um, and so what I'm going to start out by doing is just kind of telling you all about my missionary trip, how it went, a little bit about Slovakia, and then, you know, what I've learned, and we'll finish off with um, a sermon that I've actually preached in Slovakia, and I will be kind of giving you again so you can see what I was doing in part. So how did I end up going to Slovakia in the first place? It's probably a question you're wondering, as well as what even is a Slovakia, which we will get to. Um, so I'd been spent a couple of years into college and just went to a missionary convention, was looking into internship opportunities. I needed one to graduate, and I found several opportunities. What I ended up doing was working with an organization called Contact Mission. We've got some of their uh, literature on the back table after the service if you're interested. Um, is you, you know, there's a bunch of different things I could have done. And just praying through things, I settled on going with uh, Contact to Eastern Europe. Initially, I'd been looking into going to Ukraine, but for some strange reason, no one is sending interns to Ukraine right now. One of life's great mysteries, I suppose. Um, but they did have a guy in Slovakia, and this, where he was at is only about 60 miles from Ukraine, so it's a similar culture, and there are a lot of refugees there anyway, so I can, could begin to work in that direction, you know, without having to wait for a war to end. And so that was what I decided on. And so on October, I believe it was the 1st, I got on an airplane and went to Slovakia. Not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about travel. If you've been on a plane in the last 5, 10 years, you've been on all of them. I landed in Budapest, got on a bus, drove into Slovakia. And so now we get to the question of what is Slovakia. So it's a small country in Central Europe. It's bordered by the Czech Republic and Poland to the north, Ukraine to the east, and then Hungary to the south, and finally Austria to the west. It's completely landlocked. Uh, population is uh, 5.4 million, so if we're thinking about this in units of Nebraska, that's 2.84 Nebraskas. Um, and in terms of square mileage surface area, it's around one quarter of a Nebraska, so it's a lot more densely populated. Um, it's, a, it's an EU member state. It's also part of NATO, so there's no worry about uh, Russians trying anything funny because if they had, well, then the war would have reached me anywhere. 
<laughs> and where I was in Slovakia was the city of Košice, which is about the size of Lincoln, Nebraska. It's the second largest city in the country. The main industries are, they have a very large steel mill from the Soviet era that now is owned by U.S. Steel. And then a lot of tech sector companies. Um, I would say, just from the people I'd met, I'd say about half of the people in the city worked in tech. And then there are also several universities, so you have a lot of college students and, of course, professors and whatnot. And then it's also, it's only 60 miles from Ukraine. So imagine if um, you're here and then you drive down to Scotts Bluff and you're into Ukraine. That's the distance we're talking about. It's very close. And so there's lots of Ukrainians there. Um, I was working with a uh, church that goes by the name of Mosaika Koshitsa. It's uh, just a mosaic if you want to make it easy to say in English. And that's on the western side of the city. It's a small congregation, around 30 to 60 people, although relative to here, that's fairly large. <laughs> and about half of them were Slovaks, and the other half were Ukrainians. Um, real estate is very expensive in Košice because it costs, the cost is very similar to what you would pay in an American city for um, the same kind of building. It's almost dollar to dollar, except Slovaks make a lot less money on average than we do. So if you're thinking in terms of purchasing power, it's significantly more expensive there than here. And this meant that the church rented access to a building that the city of Košice owned for Sunday mornings, and then throughout the week they would have to meet in people's offices or homes. Uh, one of the church members uh, is a member of the Slovak parliament, and so he has an office that the church uses very frequently. And so that's kind of the setup of the church. Now, what was I doing in the church? So there were a few things. Uh, one of them was I would be I supplied the English speaker for an English-speaking club that we would hold, and that was almost always just with the Ukrainians. You know, they wanted to try their English out on an American, and I was an American. It worked out beautifully. <laughs> then um, another area was I would deliver a couple of sermons, you know, that doesn't require a whole lot of explanation. I would also work in the youth group. I attended a weekend camp. I gave several lessons and just, you know, get to know the kids. You know, what do you want to do? What's your thoughts on this or that? And then final one was, uh, we'll go with calling it cultural immersion. And it's just getting to know the uh, country, the, the people, the thought process, and how that's different from being in the US. So on the topic of Slovak culture, um, there's a few 
issues that complicate things for being a Christian missionary there. Uh, there's a lot of atheism and nominalism that is being a Christian just in name, which kind of has the effect of almost being a vaccination against Christianity for the people there. You introduce a weak form of it into the people, and so what they know as Christianity is really hardly anything you could call Christianity, but they're like, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I've been to church at least once this year. Yeah. And so you have to deal with that. Then there's um, Slavic cultures in general are known for being very cynical, and that's because they are. Um, Slovakia is in a place where it's been between a lot of countries that wanted to fight each other, and so they would just go through there to get to the people who they were really interested in killing. And that means you have a lot of collateral damage for centuries on end there. Um, of course, then you have the communists after the Second World War. And then even after the communists fell, you've got a lot of people coming in from the West. Not with uh, the greatest ideals, they're more just there to scrape up whatever money they can out of the local area and then run away. And so they're not very um, trusting. And then another systemic issue in Slovakia is uh, brain drain and corruption. So you can, Slovakia has free education. If you're qualified, you can go to college the government may even pay you for this, get your degree, and then because it's in the EU, you can travel freely to any number of countries where you can get the same job as you would in Slovakia, make three times as much money, and pay just a little bit more in cost of living. So the best and brightest of Slovakia tend to be outside of Slovakia. And then there's, um, of course, you have just general cultural differences. Um, in the United States, it's, um, you know, you accept, it's accepted that a lot of people do not drink alcohol. That's weird in Slovakia. The question is not really, do you drink? It's, it tends to be, well, how much? Um, but there are a few how do I put this, upsides to the situation as well. Because the population is so atheist or name-only Christian, they, um, when, you, when they come across you know, devout Christians, it's a little bit different. It's weird. It's sometimes interesting. And so you can reach them that way. Um, Despite the fact that mo maybe most of the country's history could be summed up by saying then it got worse, um, <laughs> or maybe even because of that, you know, the pe people will don't expect anything good to ever happen again. But you know, hey, why don't we go have a beer? Is kind of the standard Slovak uh, way of doing this, or just uh, get food or coffee if you don't want to drink. You know, let's have a good time before it gets worse. 
And so they're quite willing to make friends with you, even if they uh, are not going to be very trusting at first, that you're not a Western capitalist there to steal their land, gold, and women. <laughs> um, kind of similar thing with drinking as with smoking, too. If you're outside in a public area, you're going to smell cigarette smoke. It's just most of the, maybe not most of the people, but there's a lot more smokers in Slovakia. Mm -hmm. And then one other complication I had mentioned is the language. Um, it doesn't work like English. <laughs> they like to stack up a lot of uh, consonants. So like the Slovak word for heart is spelled S-R-D-C-E. You've got to get all the way to the end before you finally find a vowel. <laughs> it's pronounced as srdca, by the way, if you're interested. And of course, every mission agency ever is going to say, don't talk politics, stay away from politics. The problem is they haven't bothered to tell the Slovaks not to talk politics. And so it's just, just a constant barrage of, what, what do you think about uh, health care? Donald Trump, Joe Biden. <laughs> Can we talk about anything else? <laughs> um, and so those are some of the factors that you have to keep in mind working in Slovakia. And I did say not everything is just problem after problem after problem. You can even use political discussion as a gateway to talk about something more productive. Um, and that low rate of Christianity, there's opportunities as well as needs. And further, the Christians that are there do tend to be um, a lot more dedicated because there's no cultural pressure at all to just be a Christian in name. Very few people are going to judge you for saying, I'm an atheist, which is not as much... Again, it's a different culture from here, especially like in small American towns. If you go around saying, I'm an atheist and I think religion is a load of hogwash, you're going to get at least a few people not too happy with you. If you're in a large European city, no one cares. So there's no pressure to pretend to be a Christian. And that, again, means most of the ones who are there tend to be real Christians. Um, the refugees um, are, you know, if you help them out, they're a lot more willing to listen to what you have to say. And so what was my personal experience of Slovakia? I was, you know, again, one of the things I've been expecting was that people would be very, very cold and suspicious of you, and that is there to a degree, but the people I met were mostly very hospitable and friendly. It's like, here, let me show you around the entire city this afternoon. Here are the good coffee shops. Uh, there's a karaoke bar if you want to do that. This is a great place to eat. Um, you should... 
head out to a speech, look at the castle there. Slovakia has a lot of castles, by the way. It's a hard experience to sum up, though, because outside of the people, um, I was told before I went that you really do need to be prepared because any, any problem you have at home is going to be magnified overseas. If you've got a little bit of a, an issue, like say, remembering to pray or read your Bible, it's going to be worse. If you have family problems, they're going to be worse. If you're married and you have, and you're you know, arguing with your spouse, it's going to be worse. Excuse me. And so that's kind of, uh, I very much did experience that. So a couple more details on my uh, ministry activities. Youth group, fairly similar to an American youth group. Um, exception being we didn't have the space for how most youth groups will have a gym or something to play basketball or whatnot in. The church doesn't have a building, so we would just meet up and have a little bit more of an academic conversation. Um, and I was pretty impressed with the youth. They were very interested in learning about the Bible, about God. I preached twice, and we'll have a sample of that at the end. I will say this is a lot more complicated when you're preaching in English, and they need to translate it into Slovak and Ukrainian. So you, you can't just finish up your manuscript the night before or even morning of because you've got to send it to the lady from Lithuania who's going to be translating it into Ukrainian. And then you need to arrange the guy who's going to be up on stage with you to translate for the Slovaks. It's just one of those logistical things you've got to keep in mind. And then uh, cultural learning. I mentioned that. How do you do it? Well, um, the method that I was given and that I used was go to a coffee shop, get to know people, have conversations, and that worked pretty well. Uh, it helped that I did make good friends with one particular Slovak, also named uh, Richard, although they pronounce it Ricard because, you know, they have different phonics than we do. And... So in, my brief summary would be that it was a very enjoyable experience. I think I learned a lot. I think this is definitely confirming that I should uh, go back and do more ministry there. And the uh, Slovaks were certainly telling me, well, when are you coming back? You've you got to come back. And... I'm definitely going to want to, but one mistake I made was I tried to do this at the same time I was taking college classes. It's not a good idea. So I have to finish those up. I do have a small opportunity to go to a uh, camp in the Czech Republic over the summer, so I'll need to evaluate whether I think I can raise the funds for that. Um, but yeah. Europe is overall very atheist these days. It's 
the least evangelized continent on earth at the time. We spent years and years worrying about how are we going to get the gospel to South America or East Asia and kind of forgot to keep it going at home, it seems like. Um, and that's very true in Slovakia. It's about one-fifth of one percent of the population. That's 0.2% are evangelized. And I know there are some believers in the Lutheran and Catholic churches, but it's very hard to tell just with how those um, denominations are set up. And so I think for myself, um, definitely what I'm looking to do is go back and see if I can't in some way contribute to raising that um, percentage point. And so that'll be, I guess that's what I have to say about my mission trip right now. I will be more than happy to answer any questions you might have uh, later. And I want to say for those of you who contributed financially or prayed or even just thought happy thoughts in my direction, um, I cannot thank you enough for that. I... never could have done any of this without uh, the contributions that Alliance and the people here have made. And so thank you for that. And with that, I think I'm going to move on to the sermon that I mentioned. And this was one that I did preach in the uh, Mosaic Church of Kashitsa, so... We will move into that. If you want to turn to First uh, Peter 1, if you're using the uh, Pew Bibles, I think that's page 568. Let me see here. Yes, yes it is. Um, and so I'm going to start by talking about my, a bit of my experience in uh, Kashitsa. And I know for myself and for some of you as well, I suspect what I'm going to talk about is going to line up with what Peter is also saying here in his letter. I only ever felt welcomed in Mosaica and in Kosice, but it was also very clear I'm, I'm not a Slovak. That wasn't my natural habitat. There are a number of things that I liked better about that city than in the U.S., um, it's much easier to get around your uh, Kosice, at least, than a U.S. city. And if I had to live in a city, I'd probably go with a European one just because of that. But I don't speak the language. Um, I don't know the social customs. You know, who goes first in the line at dinner time? Um, when exactly would I say ciao or dovidenia, which are both ways of saying goodbye in Slovak. One is formal, one is not so formal. How do you tell which is appropriate? Um, so on and so forth, and lots of things like that. It gets lonely when you're the oddball, and you are definitely the oddball when you're an American in Slovakia. You know, that whole fish out of water thing. 
And I want to bring in a very particular word here. I might even go far as to say that being an American in Slovakia is being something of an exile. Now, it wasn't unwillingly, but I was more than a few miles from home. And I think even though, you know, everyone here, I believe, is probably an American, but sometimes it's, you can feel far from home when you're at home. And Peter is going to show us that that's for a reason, because we are all exiles. So, First Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. It's very easy to skip these uh, first introductions, but I just want to bring up a couple of important points out of this. Um, Peter's writing this as a disciple of Jesus, an ambassador. He can, what he's saying is he's speaking on Jesus' behalf. And so he's claiming that you know he has that authority behind what he's saying. So who is he talking to? Um, exiles. We'll get into what exiles are. But these are exiles chosen by God. That's what elect means. And so who are the exiles? Um, cities Peter mentions are in modern Turkey, um, Roman territory at the time. So that's their geographical location. Um, but they're not just any exiles because these are exiles chosen by God through the work of the Spirit, obedient to Jesus, sprinkled in his blood. And we'll continue. Um, verses 3 through 6. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So... I want to zero in on the word hope here. It doesn't mean something nice that I vaguely think might happen someday. Um, now this is the sort of hope that you would have for maybe a European team in the World Cup. Not for the American team because we are terrible at soccer. Um, now what Peter is saying when he says hope here um, is something that is certain to happen in the future. It's one of those nuances of the original language that doesn't always come across in translation. Okay, so hope. But what do we hope in? Well, he kind of shows us here. Resurrection and inheritance kept in heaven for us. 
and a salvation that is going to be revealed. And say, don't just casually read past this to get to the next verse. These are important things. And if we do have these, well, of course we would rejoice, even though we do have these trials. And what kinds of trials do we have? I think all of you can probably suggest something. Let's keep reading. Uh, Verses 7 through 9. These, the trials, have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith the salvation of your souls. Trials come in part for the proof of our faith. Um, Not that, you know, God already knows what our faith is, but I think there's a confidence that comes from having gone through, um, you know, in exile or any other number of life crises and you come out on the other side and you realize that God brought you through that. One other thing here is we don't have to wait for everything that Peter's talking about. Again, that hope thing because it is already happening. We are already receiving that end result, the salvation And verses 10 through 12, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Salvation is not a little thing. The prophets who predicted it searched and longed to understand what they were talking about. The angels only wish that they could understand it we have it. We're in exile. We're going through trials, but we have this kind of salvation. And so you're wondering how Peter can say rejoice. This is how. Therefore, with minds that are alert, fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Again, why would we do this? Because we have protection from God. Because he gives us hope in our trials because we have this kind of salvation that fascinated the prophets and fascinates the angels. 
when I realize what Jesus does for me every day, even in a place where I very much do not belong, when I'm the square peg in a round hole, what else can I do but be holy, despite all of that? Verses uh, 16 through 21. He's going to continue that response. What does it mean to be holy? Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. And so we've got, again, um, this idea of being exiles or as the NIV puts it, this time foreigners. So how does Peter mean that you and I are exiles? I believe the key is what he's going to say after foreigners. Empty way of life our ancestors had, being redeemed from that. We are foreigners here on earth. We are exiles and alien to the world because we do not have it's empty life. You know, you go from the U.S. to Slovakia, and there are some cultural differences, but the cultural difference between being redeemed from the empty life of the world is a bigger difference than you're going to see any other way. And we're foreigners to the world because we don't have that empty life that it does. Verses uh, 22 through 25. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. We have something that is better than the world does. We should have a better life. I didn't say easier or more prosperous necessarily, but a better life than we would if we were in the world. Not in the sense that I need to make sure that my external behavior meets these certain guidelines or that I need to follow this list of rules. What joy, as Peter is saying we should have here, what joy is there to be found in a life of trying and failing to live like a robot following its program? No, that's... That is not the point. What is Peter showing us throughout this chapter? You are far from home, but God has chosen you. And he's chosen you to go to a better home. 
You are suffering now, but you have an inheritance waiting for you. You are in the midst of trials, but you will be praised when you have endured them. You are already receiving now that the angels themselves wish they could understand. Because of these things, set your hope on what Jesus will bring when he comes and live like him. On the subject of Jesus, live your lives knowing what Jesus paid to redeem them. Live like your life is worth Jesus dying for it. Love other people like their lives are worth what Jesus paid for them. One of the um, things that I did experience in Slovakia, there were two other American couples who were attending the uh, church that I was working with. They were there with a, uh, a different organization. And it was always just kind of a relief to be able to speak English and not have to worry about whether they would have any idea what I was saying. I could use idioms. I could be sarcastic and they would understand it. <laughs> um, sarcasm does not translate well. <laughs> Nor do uh, jokes, especially ones that are dependent on really uh, finicky word tricks. And it was always such a relief to just be able to just speak regular English and not have to worry about all of the cultural things. And so with each other, the people in this room, the people in the other church buildings and even outside of those church buildings who believe in Jesus and follow him, these are our fellow citizens. And so remember that. Um, I wanted to... Uh, there's not going to be a slide for this because I only thought to bring it up uh, after I thought about it just now, but I believe it's Hebrews 11... Hebrews 11, 13. So the Hall of Faith chapter, you've got this long list of people who lived and died by faith. Um, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting they were foreigners and strangers. I wonder where else we may have heard that on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. We're exiles now. We're far from home. But we have a new city, a better country waiting for us. And so, yeah, there are difficulties in life. There are so many kinds of trials. But remember 
the country that's waiting for you. Remember that we are not alone in our exile. I am not alone. You are not. Because we have our fellow citizens of that other city around us. So, um, if you would all pray with me. Dear Lord, um, I cannot ever find the words to express the thanks that is due to you for the many gifts you give us, salvation, fellowship. But I thank you particularly for this church, this congregation here, for each of these people and their love for you. I ask that you would strengthen all of them in whatever trials they are experiencing because we know that we are bound for them. And I just ask that you would remind them of this city that you have waiting for us. Um, I thank you myself for this opportunity that I had to go to Slovakia to experience um, a preview of what I hope to do later. And I just ask that you would be with each of those people there with the church, both small and large in that country, and that you would be with each of us here throughout this week. In Jesus' name, amen.